What is up, Bitcoiners? It's CK, and this is another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This week, I sit down with the man, the myth, the legend, and absolute treasure in the Bitcoin community, Parker Lewis, head of business development for Unchained Capital, and just prolific writer and thinker in the space. We talk about what he's building at Unchained Capital, what they are kind of developing throughout the this past year and how they are aligning their products in order to serve Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies in the most Bitcoin native way. From there, we jump into some of his thinking around how to teach and help people understand Bitcoin, as well as how to communicate Bitcoin's value props to the widest swath of people. Really thought that this was an absolutely fantastic show. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get into it, though, I want to talk about our sponsors. You guys, it's CK, and I'm super excited to tell you about Bitcoin 2021 Conference. This year, Bitcoin 2021 is going to be in beautiful Miami, Florida. The conference is going to be on June 4th and 5th with a special VIP-only event June 3rd, the day before the event. That VIP event is called Whale Night. You guys, this is going to be the Bitcoin event of all time. It is going to be bigger than any Bitcoin conference ever. It is trending to extremely, extremely high levels, and we haven't even begun seeing the FOMO yet. I'm super excited for this event. We have Jack Dorsey. We have Michael Saylor. We have Nick Zabo. We have Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. We have pioneers across the board for Bitcoin, the top of the top. Y'all are not going to want to miss this. Bitcoin 2021 is going to be a Bitcoin gathering of all time for all ages. And man, I would not miss it if I were you. Go check out Bitcoin 2021 at b.tc backslash conference and make sure to use Bitcoin Magazine special promo, promo code Satoshi, all caps, Satoshi, and you're going to get 10% off of your GA ticket. Again, make sure to use promo code Satoshi and make sure to check out Bitcoin 2021. All right, that is enough from me. Let's get right into the show with Parker Lewis. Parker Lewis, welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Christian, it's good to see you on screen. Been too long. Good to hear your voice as well and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. 2020 has been a trying year, but in terms of folks who really conquered and made the best of it, you definitely come up at, at the top of the list as well as Unchained Capital. Would love to get, get the update for the Bitcoin Magazine audience. You know, What have you been working on? What is kind of new and, and exciting with Unchained Capital? lot going on at Unchained. I think if I, you know, summed up 2020, it's 2020 was a chaotic year. I was joking in the office. I think I probably personally fit in like the top like 0.1% in terms of personal interactions in 2020. Like after the first two or two to four weeks of, of uncertainty, I refused to, to be locked down mentally or physically. So I got to go to BitBlock Boom in 2020, which was awesome in Dallas was sad that Bitcoin 2020 got delayed, but I'm super pumped for that in Miami coming up here in, in 2021 now. But just to kind of fast forward kind of all the, the the kind of big things that we had in 2020 for Unchained and, and then talking a little bit about what we're working on today and the vision for 2021 and beyond. In 2020, really kind of the, the core areas of focus for us and the, the, the biggest investments were we had a significant upgrade to Caravan, which is our open source application, which is designed to, to, to work in tandem with our private application. So basically, it, it, the open source application, what it represents to our clients is 
removing our private application in our interface as a single point of failure for clients, such that if something happens to you know their Unchained Capital account, that they can always go somewhere else. So it's it's a it's a security column for Unchained. Then it also helps. Bitcoiners that don't want to work with the third party have easy access to multi-sig if they want it. Uh, and then it also helps us interact within the multi-sig universe within Bitcoin to help drive standards for, for Bitcoin. So we launched that in May of last year. It was important for our private application. We then uh, launched an OTC trading desk for Bitcoin. So we're in the process of expanding our, our coverage of states, but basically we help people buy Bitcoin direct to cold store multi-sig vaults, which is an awesome product. We launched a concierge onboarding service. So for so basically people that could go from zero, never having a key to multi-sig with multiple keys and cold storage. Launched that over the summer. That really took off in the second half of the year into to the fall, into the, the fourth quarter. And then we released an application for businesses. But But what came along with that was also a very easy to use interface where People can have one unchained login. They could have an unchained personal account. They could open a, an account for their self-directed IRA. People are working with Jeff Andrew and hold their own keys to that. Or they could have a business account where they have multiple people and they're managing treasury for a, a standard operating business, whether it's a, an operating business or a family office, basically solving that. You know, If you're a Bitcoiner that wants to hold your own private keys, you now have one place to live in your personal context, your retirement context, and your work context. And work can, again, and business can can mean many things to, to solve all of those needs. And, and those needs, whether you're operating in your personal capacity or retirement capacity, your business capacity changes. And we're trying to create solutions for, for all Bitcoiners that, that just want to hold their own keys. So those were really the four kind of key investments that we made and the four things that we were major products that we delivered in 2020, there were a number of other smaller things like confirming on device and a number of other things that we worked on with the team at Satoshi Labs. But then as we look forward to 2021, uh, we kind of are going to continue to focus. We're working on an enhanced design kind of within the UI to do a refresh where we're working on expanding the vault capabilities to, to basically layer on for the business accounts to have enhanced financial controls that sit at the system level. We're in the process of expanding our OTC desk and automating that and basically being able to lower minimum so that we can we can really basically the, the product is awesome being able to to you know what to give you an example, I had a, a a wealthy client that came through last week on Thursday. I overnighted them devices. We set them up on Friday and we executed a large purchase that was finally settled into their multi-sig vaults on, on Friday. And so those are the type of things that we're really focused on. And we want to you know, not just have minimums be 50,000, but be able to democratize that as well and start where there's you know, some more manual processes involved and it is a white glove service. But we want to be able to fill that to, to more and more Bitcoiners. And then we're also working on a, a product to, uh, to actually lend Bitcoin that will be the most secure product in the market. We're, we're in the process of working on a pilot right now that will then likely um, in the second half of the year be, be expanding to, to more of a direct consumer. So a number of things, and, and then also continuing to, to invest in open source and making Caravan the easiest tool for, for Bitcoiners, not only to recover from a private application, but also to use on a primary basis should they want to and not want to interact with a third party. 
So a bunch of stuff I want to comment on and tease out there, but I want to make a few comments as a Unchained customer myself. The existence of Caravan is so, so important. And I don't know, you know, how many people are listening here have interacted with Unchained's amazing suite of products. But, you know, for me, I, you know, I hold a substantial amount of my Bitcoin with Unchained. It And it gives me complete peace of mind that I not only have all my keys, but I have like a little folder that is on an encrypted drive that has every single thing I would need to recover without Unchained and without going through their website. So, I mean, that is, it. that's a full suite, you know, sovereign Bitcoin setup, but yet I still get the benefits of having, you know, Unchained there as, you know, a collaborator, someone who can countersign with me, someone who can kind of maintain and make sure that it's a really easy and, and pleasant experience for, you know, someone who's not super, let's say, technical. Yeah, and it, Caravan is super important. I think it's one of the things that, it, you know, the, there's there's constant improvement that we're making to, to vault functionality, but really that existence of Caravan, when we think about our service, and, and Michael Flaxman is somebody who talks about this a lot in terms of fault tolerance and 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 having a, a custody solution that's highly fault tolerant. And, and when we think about fault tolerance, it's eliminating single points of failure. And, and realistically, when we think about eliminating single points of failure, the obvious one is keys, but that's just where it starts. Multisig very obviously solves the single point of failure as it relates to keys. But what collaborative custody does and what Unchained does for folks is it not only eliminates you know, keys as single point of failure, we also stress compatibility with multiple devices. And we also recommend that our clients hold their backup seats so that, that, that vendors aren't single points of failure. But then also it's important to us that our website is not a single point of failure. If you went through all of those lengths to have your own two keys to back them up, and then if, if as a non-technical user, your life bot cut, got cut off just because you were locked outside of your Unchained Capital account for whatever reason, whether you forgot your password or because you know Unchained got a court order and we decided that we didn't like you again, we are people that believe in censorship resistance. We believe in you know, kind of the all of the ethos of Bitcoin, but there is a reality that there are, there are certain things that we can't account for in the future. And having that open source application that is Caravan basically provides that third level of eliminating single points of failure, which is our private application for users. So, and again, it is there is that added benefit where we want to democratize multisig. It's not just for people that w- want to work with Unchain. Our key, like you mentioned, Christian, does create a lot of security for people. In our environment, when they have a two or three multisig, they have two keys, they have two backups to those keys. They could lose access to all four pieces of those information if they have one of four, then, or they can't lose access, they could lose access to three. If they have one of four of their pieces of information, they come to us and we can countersign. Our key means a lot to our clients and it helps provide a lot of diversity and key management. Separately, if people don't want to work with us though, we've got Caravan and they can do it themselves and we make it easy to use. I think what more and more Bitcoiners figured out in 2020 was that multi-sig is the best way to secure Bitcoin. We're in the process of making that very easy to do, and we'll be continuing to make investments both on within our private application as well as open source. Yeah, I mean, and again, just to talk about me as an Unchained customer, I was using multi-sig probably eight to 12 months before I technologically could have without Unchained because of Unchained, right? So my funds were secure far beyond, like now because of Spectre and because of other applications that are making it really, really easy to kind of run and do multi-sig coordination on your own um, is more kind of attainable for a non-technical user. But I mean, you guys really have, you know, done a huge amount to democratize it and still are. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the goal. It's we recognize, and I think most Bitcoiners recognize that there's going to be a massive adoption wave that occurs over this year. The price of Bitcoin is going to increase in value. And there's there's really two ways that we think about it. Not only is in value increases, do people realize that they need to take their security more seriously? Matt O'Dell had a had a great quote, you know, somewhere along the way that I heard on the podcast, which was your should your security should always be 10x the current price of Bitcoin. But realistically speaking, that's not what people do. And it, and it oftentimes takes the the price and value to go up by multiples for people then to to feel the urgency to do it. So a lot more people are now feeling that and, and adopting and, and going through the process of, of learning how to do multi-sig. We have a concierge onboarding process to basically allow people to talk to human beings, ask those questions. Because I think one of the biggest challenges of moving people over from single sig to multi-sig is just understanding how multi-sig works. It is something that that there are things that you have to understand about Bitcoin once you start to get into multi-sig that you theoretically needed to know even when you were dealing with a single sig, but it became more intuitive because it was just, you know, mapping one device to one key was easier than, you know, three devices or a two of three or three of five, whoever you may be using. And so having access to our team to educate people too is a service in itself. So part of it is the multi-sig and the application. The other side is the knowledge transfer of helping people feel secure in that. And that requires getting up a curve, which seems daunting, but when you have a team of people to help you do that, not just to get set up, but then to ask questions of, and that really collectively is our service. So it's, it's exciting being able to help people take control of their private keys, whether it's for the first time or for people that are upgrading from, from single sig to multi-sig. We know that, there's a lot more people that are going to be demanding Bitcoin and that, that what we're working on at Unchained is the solution for 99% of somebody's Bitcoin. It's their deep cold storage and, and what they need to have secured in the most rigorous way. And then you may, be have, you may have your you know, smaller amount walking around on a mobile wallet on a single key or, or something that has mobile keys involved. But this is really solving you know, when you buy Bitcoin and it's your life savings. What are you going to be most secure in? And that 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 is what we view as the really the most acute problem for Bitcoiners. So I want to transition and talk a little bit about Unchained's business accounts. Like I want to hear about, you know, what was going on in the office before Michael Saylor announced that he was investing Bitcoin in their treasury because you guys had the foresight of launching these business accounts and these accounts that are tailored for business usage before that. I think, you know, you guys actually launched it, you know, a month or two before Michael Saylor made that kind of breaking and I guess trajectory changing kind of a business move. Can you kind of talk about the foresight and where you see kind of the corporation and business distinctions from individuals? Yeah, I think I think part of it is laying out a vision for what Unchained is. So we think about Unchained as a, as a Bitcoin native financial services company. One way I would describe it is it is a private bank-like platform for people that store long-term wealth in Bitcoin and that, who also demand private key ownership. And so I think when you, when you ultimately look at the service that we offer in terms of Bitcoin-backed lending, helping people buy and sell Bitcoin in the future, helping people lend Bitcoin in the future, helping people receive payments and make payments in Bitcoin, that the services themselves will look very similar to a, to a traditional banking-like service. What differentiates us is that the foundation of custody is built on our clients holding private keys. And so it is that universe of people that we want to serve, the Bitcoiners who hold their own private keys. And there's a recognition, and this is what guided our vision towards kind of, I'd say, 
not necessarily being early as it relates to business accounts, but, but recognizing that there was a trend coming. It is, if you're a Bitcoiner and you hold your own private keys as an individual, then you have an inclination naturally to do that as a business as well. That if, if as an individual, you start to understand why you should store your value in Bitcoin, your wealth that you store in your business is also your wealth. And if you're holding your keys as an individual, you're going to want to hold those keys as a business. And when we think about the foundation of our business as being Bitcoin custody, but being the distinction that, that, that individuals hold their own private keys or businesses hold their own private keys, it is what we refer to as collaborative custody. And when we originally launched our vault product, what that collaborative custody really meant was that our clients had the ability to collaborate with Unchain. It wasn't co-custody because our clients have ultimate control. They have two keys, we have one. And it worked very well for an individual application. But then we also recognize, again, in that grain of individuals will hold the private keys for their businesses as well. They're going to have different challenges as a business. And they're going to need to collaborate, not just on a one-to-one basis with Unchain, but that they're going to need to collaborate with other people in their business. And so we just recognize that the individual application was sufficient to deal with you know, either individual retirement funds, but then those same people didn't want to go to another service provider. And we had a number of early customers that had businesses that were already holding Bitcoin. We recognized and looked at a certain group of, of user personas to say, these are the type of people we want to serve. And we're going to have a hard time serving them as individuals if we're not also serving them on the business side. And then vice versa, if we're serving them on the business side, there's a, there's a high degree of synergy between individual and business banking for Bitcoin. And that if you imagine if there's a business that's holding their own keys and, and working with Unchain, and that business has employees, then a lot of those individuals are more likely to use Unchain. But then also it goes both ways for individuals that are using Unchain. They're going to have a business in the future that, that's holding their own Bitcoin and using their own private keys. And so those two things just are very natural fits. And we were seeing the demand for early customers that we knew there'd be a wave coming from others because we recognize that we, we as a, as a Bitcoin based business have that same challenge that others do as well. Awesome. Well, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, Unchained has had an incredible year, but you personally have also had an incredible year. Your blog series that you launched, what did you launch it in 2019 or was it launched in 2020? It was launched in 2019. So I launched it over the summer of 2019. So, I mean, you've been at it for a while, but even from day one, it's been incredible and it seems to just keep getting better and better. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, launching and, and, and operating and kind of like operating gradually and then suddenly, and then, you know, what your kind of future plans are for your thought leadership? Yeah. So I'd say that you know, part of the inspiration for it was that I think very early on when, when one of the ways that I got came into Bitcoin or at least helped really shape my understanding of it. Was, was being able to meet Safe Dean Amus, who I met in, in 2016. And he really helped me you know, understand monetary economics and understand, you know, kind of, I went from not understanding monetary economics at, at all to understanding why gold was money. And then that helped me understand Bitcoin very, very easily. And, and once the Safe's book came out later on, I then, rather than have to explain Bitcoin to folks, just started buying copies of the Bitcoin standard and, recognized it's not a particularly profound thought, but if I could hand out a copy of the Bitcoin standard and spend $10 on it, that was a way more leverageable use of my time than, than explaining Bitcoin myself. And so there were things that, that I had been thinking about or that I struggled with along the way because I wasn't somebody that went, you know, I, I didn't just look at Bitcoin 
and it didn't just click for me that there were things that I struggled with and that I recognized that there were a lot of those questions that were answered via the Bitcoin standard and I could help kind of just by leveraging that book, leverage my own time or make my own time more efficient. But then I could do the exact same thing of the questions that weren't necessarily answered there. You know, many of the, of the similar questions I addressed, but maybe in different ways and maybe for a different audience, but be able to invest a lot of time up front to explain a concept that many people struggle with that I struggled with. And then each time somebody has a question myself, but then others, because I leverage safe time in creating the book, others, and we see, you know, our good friend, Bitcoin Tina all over Twitter, that every time somebody comes up with someone says, wait, but Bitcoin's too volatile. They could just send them, you know, my article that is Bitcoin is not too volatile, you know, and use that as an example where, you know, I think, I think I probably spent maybe, you know, my most popular one to date is called Bitcoin obsoletes all other money. I probably spent like 60 hours writing that 50, 60 hours. And that single article has been read about 10,000 hours worth of time, you know, so from, you know, I could either spend 10,000 hours, which I don't have, or I could invest 50 to 60 hours to write about it. And then people can distribute that knowledge. And it's not just my time that then becomes leveraged, it's other Bitcoiners. So that that was really the, the impetus that there were things that I had a, a perspective on that I thought I could communicate in ways. Nat- writing isn't something that comes naturally to me. I do think that as the series become more popular, I you know, had to invest more time in each one to make sure like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna write just to write to put out volume. I, I now kind of only write where I feel like there's a subject that I feel, you know, is misunderstood and that my voice could lend a unique perspective to, or at least a perspective that would resonate with people to help answer questions. And so I have kind of made more the, the more recent ones more involved. It has naturally caused kind of a, a wider kind of gate between kind of each one. But yeah, it's been super rewarding for me, it's been valuable to us at Unchained. But I think just it's, it's a it's a resource now that anybody can lean on to, to help expand the knowledge base. And it, you know, it would happen, you know, anyways, but uh, I'm glad to to play a small part. Well, a small part is is maybe an understatement for how much leverage the Bitcoin community has gotten out of your series. So kudos to that. And I'm sure to, to the excitement of many Bitcoiners who have been leveraging the individual blog posts, you kind of have a, a next step of, you know, bringing all of that together into a book. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we I, I had enough people online ask about when, when gradually then suddenly book. And so... Yeah, what, what I'm essentially working on now is converting those essays and, and, and preserving them. I'm, I'm somebody that started publishing these. I think the first one that I published was in July of 2019, that they're going to be published as a series of essays. You know, They'll probably be copy edited just to clean up some grammatical issues, but really just package as a book format. So if someone wants to, you know, in certain cases, it's easy for somebody to, to link to some, something on Twitter. In other cases, people will consume more content if it's in the medium of a book. And so the goal is just to package it and format it in a way that's consumable in book format, but to preserve the content of all the individual essays that people are already familiar with, such that if they're sending people or or buying the book for the person, that they know the content, they don't have to reread it because they've already read many of it, or they can point people to the same essay. So they'll be preserved to basically, you know, be very clear that this is an essay that was written on, you know, July 19th, you know, 2019 or whenever it was, 
with the idea of not trying to have revisionist history or not change the narrative, but to to really just formalize and create a, another mechanism and another medium for people to continue to leverage the same resources. And I'm going to continue to write, but then this will be probably volume one. And you know, if I write another 17, then maybe there will be a volume two, or I'll just append the graduate and suddenly book with each each new one that I come out with. Is there any kind of early timeline around when this book can uh, hit the shelves? You know what? I'm going to try, I'm going to try, but it might not be achievable if we, if we could get it done, but by Bitcoin 2021, that would be a great, that would, that would be great. So it's uh, my, my goal is first half of the year, but accelerating that by about a month, it could be challenging, but we're going to work on that. All right. Well, for those of you who are not aware when Bitcoin 2021 is going to be June 4th and 5th in Miami. So hopefully the book will be available there and you can meet up with the Unchained team and chat with Parker and, and all that good stuff at the conference. I'm trying to trying to get it out before 100K, which that might be tough. I love the bullish sentiment. Okay, Parker, I want to transition from you know talking about what you're doing to actually the ideas that you have been propagating. For me, one of the most powerful things that you've ever said was this line about how Bitcoin is counterintuitive and then hyperintuitive. I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm bastardizing it. So I want to give you a chance to, you know, talk about that line of thinking and, you know, kind of deliver it your way. Yeah, I think that it, it is this idea that like, I, I just really think of Bitcoin as being, it's not intuitive. It's like extremely not intuitive. And then, and then it starts to become intuitive over time, like something clicks for somebody. It's like, you know, it goes from, and one of the analogies that I use is you and I could be, you know, sitting in the, in this, in the Sistine Chapel, and I could be staring up at the ceiling and seeing, you know, Michelangelo's masterpiece. And you could be staring up there and just seeing a blank canvas, just, just nothing. It's just white, you know, and, and two people are looking at the exact same equation and one person sees it and one person doesn't. And then what happens is something clicks for some somebody. And that's often something different. You know, there's probably th- themes that click for di- different people, but that something clicks and then Bitcoin goes kind of in a moment from not being seen to recognizing that there might be something there. And then over time, that thing that was not intuitive starts to become intuitive. And then over time, the longer you stare at it, it becomes hyper-intuitive where, where once you get in that zone of hyper-intuitive, once you start to kind of be beyond all of the different kind of cycles of FUD, then it's almost difficult to conceive how difficult Bitcoin was to see in the first place, because you've gone such so, so far down the spectrum. And, and I think that's an important thing to recognize, not just for somebody that's trying to learn Bitcoin, but it's also important for people that, that, that Bitcoin has become hyperintuitive for, of trying to put themselves back in that seat of the person that literally can't see because I was that person and practically speaking, everyone was. You know, the first time somebody heard about Bitcoin, that it logically probably did not make sense. And and I think, you know, when I go through my own experience, it's that there's so many things that when you're trying to explain something to to a noob about, it's hard to remember the context that like you're describing something that makes perfect sense to you. And they very logically 
have these mental blocks that that when you're speaking, it's like Greek. Right? What are you talking about? Right? Because this person they haven't even you know tried to understand money yet, and you're talking about 21 million Bitcoin, and they're just thinking like, okay, but if even if there's 21 million Bitcoin, it's this digital thing. Like, how can that be money? It's money's must be a collective hallucination. Right? I've never even thought about it, and you're just throwing all of these esoteric things at me, and I don't even know where to start. You know, and so. But that's also just a natural process. And the way I also think about it is it's a really hard process. It's easier, made easier because of the content that, you know, people are putting out via podcasts, via articles, you know, via books. And and it's being made very easy because I also recognize that somebody might read my essays of Gradually Then Suddenly and it not click. And then they read one of Robert Breedlove's essays and he put something in a way that connected or Nick Batia might put something in a way that somebody else connects with that, you know, we're all communicating ideas about the same thing that is Bitcoin, you know, safety, you know, kind of Jan Pritzker with inventing Bitcoin, but it's all of these, like putting all these ideas out there are complementary because everybody thinks about it slightly different and they're going to, because they're, they're naturally going to connect with different people. But along that process as, as more and more content's coming out there and as, as, as more people advance down the stage is that every single day, Bitcoin is clicking for another individual in the world, you know, and that more and more of those people, you know, I'd like to say that every single day, more people have Bitcoin, have Bitcoin today than they had yesterday. And that is true of tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And everyone's just at a different point of the curve. But when Bitcoin starts to become hyperintuitive for people, when you're so far out on the curve, it's just... You know, your your behavior and the way that you approach not just Bitcoin but various other things that the certainty becomes eliminated. It becomes inevitable, and the other world starts to look so alien. Yeah, I think on uh, my special with Bitcoin Tina, he said the line that the 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 risk in Bitcoin is understanding. Right, it's the level of your understanding kind of correlates with what your perceived risk in Bitcoin is, and kind of talking about your idea of Bitcoin is counterintuitive and then it's hyperintuitive. The way that I've kind of talked about this and again, inspired by your framing is, you know, the majority of people are in a fiat worldview. Like they're operating based on the fiat rules and the way that they've kind of like figured works within the existing paradigm. And bridging over to like a Bitcoin centric worldview is difficult. And that's, you know, what your essays are about, Robert Breedlove's essays about, Bitcoin magazines about, is trying to help people bridge over from a fiat centric worldview to a Bitcoin centric worldview. And once you switch to a Bitcoin centric worldview, that's, that's that moment of hyper intuitiveness. Yeah, and I, I think that, that that is a great way to frame it because it's like the world operated on a certain set of rules for a long time, you know, not long in, in, in a historical context, but nor consistent. Long, yeah, yeah, nor consistent, but but long in terms of anybody who's alive today, right? And certain people got really good at playing the game based on the old set of rules the Warren Buffetts of the world, the Ray Dalios of the world, the Lloyd Blank Fives, the Jamie Diamonds. They figured out how the game was played. And we can all complain about how it's a rigged game, but they figured out that the rules were and they exploited them. And to each their own, like, hey, good for you. Like, that's what that, like everyone should act in their own individual interest. That game was just, a. it, it ultimately has become a broken system. 
And then when you come over to Bitcoin, it's a system that has an entirely, not just an entirely different set of rules. It's basically built on the opposite set of principles. And so you shouldn't expect that the people that figured out the old game and perfected it will understand the new game because they're operating at so much, so many layers up above the foundation that if they're trying to pattern match, you know, one world to the other, like I often hear people say, oh, but like, you know, we've already determined that a currency with a fixed supply isn't a good thing. But then if you went and said, took a, a sample of a hundred people and said, hey, if I could pay you with a currency that had a fixed supply versus one that didn't, which one would you choose? And 99 out of 100, if they just weren't thinking about Bitcoin, they would say the one that has a fixed supply. So it's very logical, intuitive. The hard thing that I tell people is, you know, it's easy to say there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. The hard thing is understanding and developing an individual view as to how credible that number is. Because once, and I think this is this aligns with what Bitcoin Tina was saying, once you develop a personal view and a confidence, you know, not a belief system, but, a, but an intuitive understanding as to how Bitcoin enforces its 21 million fixed supply and that every altcoin shitcoin that's copied from it is doesn't have those properties, you stop looking at Bitcoin as risky and you just appreciate that it's volatile and you account for your life that way. And then you actually then understand there's a different set of rules. The rest of the world just doesn't know about it yet. And each passing day, more and more people figure that out and as the price of Bitcoin goes up, that is the output of a consensus of people evaluating the monetary properties of two competing monetary mediums. And that the price of Bitcoin going up is Bitcoin becoming that emergent consensus. I love that. And I mean, you you just framed these concepts so eloquently. So thank you for kind of teasing that out and breaking it out a little bit more. I think this is a great place to transition into one of my favorite articles that you put out, which is Bitcoin is the great definancialization, right? It, the, and you talked about this concept on my other podcast, POV Crypto, before you wrote the article. But this idea of like Bitcoin breaks down what finance is today. Like we'll, we're not going to have Bitcoin finance that looks exactly like, you know, how we deal with monetary instruments like today. And you can look at a lot of that, you know, DeFi in, in, on the Ethereum ecosystem is really hot. I pointed at that to like, that's super schemorphic because I've spoken to you and I understand like Bitcoin is built on completely different foundation and completely different principles. Can you kind of tease out like this super counterintuitive idea and, you know, why Bitcoin is moving the world in that direction? Yeah, first, I do want to say, because I, I do remember this conversation that we had on POV crypto, DeFi is not decentralized. Yeah, Bitcoin is a construction of keys. All crypto is a construction of keys. Those keys live on certain servers, and in general, they're, they're controlled by a central third party. So just off the top, I got to throw FUD at DeFi because it's, it's a not FUD. system. It's not, it's not FUD. It's just a broken, it's a, it's a broken system. They're facts. Get your facts straight. But, but I think that, you know, that, that we, we did talk about that as a concept. And I often say that it's not decentralized finance. You know, it's not DeFi, it's definancialization. Now the world, if you, def, if you decentralize the money supply, which is Bitcoin, you are going to decentralize any number of different functions. 
but that as it relates to money and finance, the most important consequence of decentralization in Bitcoin is that it will definancialize the economy and that, that there will be human flourishing that results from that. Don't know exactly what it looks like. But one of the concepts that, that I, you know, I press people on are these things that aren't intuitive and the, the, the folks, and I, I often refer to them as the macro bros. The macro bros, what they don't understand is they look at the, the legacy system and it's, and it's a, it's a debt-based monetary system. And they look at Bitcoin and they'll say, you can't have a fixed supply currency because you you can't have this, this debt system on top of it. And I would respond to them and be like, exactly. Like people, when they figure out that there's a currency that has a fixed supply and they develop a view from that, they're going to opt out of your debt-based system and it's just going to go away. It's not to say that debt's going to go away, but it's going to say that in a world of Bitcoin with a fixed money supply, you're not going to have the same level of financialization. You're not going to have the same level of people going into debt because the whole system will be balanced and governed by the fact that there's only 21 million Bitcoin. Basically, we've gotten to this hyper-financialized world. And I talk about this in the piece, Bitcoin is the Great Definancialization. This whole financialization, both on the credit side, as well as all these complicated structures to, to pool and and own equity risk at a fundamental level a large swath of it is driven by the broken monetary structure that people continue to go into debt because they have this built-in assumption that the government's going to print more and more money and they will they will continue to print more and more money and that printing of money fuels this financialization and this culture of going into debt and this culture of of taking every cent that you earn and plowing it into some complicated financial structure that holds shares and companies that you have no idea what they do. But if you went back to basics and you help somebody understand that there was a form of currency that had a fixed supply, they would opt out from a significant portion of the world that has become financialized. And the way that I describe that for people is, you know, again, it's very difficult and you know, to the extent to say impossible to quantify exactly how much of the financialized products that exist in the world exist merely as a function as of a central bank engineering money to lose 2% per, per year and compounded. But the reality is you know it when you see it. You know, it's basically... Every single, you know, grocer, you know, telecom worker, oil and gas person, doctor, you know, yoga instructor, teacher, all of them have, you know, effectively been duped into becoming stock pickers, you know, or, you know, mutual fund buyers when all they really needed was a better form of money, right? When you live in a world where you know, and it's ingrained in your head that money is going to lose value. Basically, every other economic incentive becomes broken. Money is supposed to be the thing that stores value so that you don't have to take risk. Basically, if you've gotten money, you've already taken risk. You've already committed your time to delivering something of value to somebody else. And that requires the input of you perfecting some craft or educating yourself with some skill, oftentimes over years and perfecting it over decades. And there's no assurance that you're going to get paid, but that when you get paid, that's basically 
the that's the end of the journey of taking a risk, at least as it relates to a single transaction. When you're then forced into a world where your money loses value, you then have to be forced into a position where you continue to take risk. And that is that is that is a fundamentally broken economic structure. And 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 we live in this world where the consequences have been, you know, we live with, you know, in the US credit system alone, there's 83 trillion of debt. There's only about 4.8 trillion of dollars that exists in the banking system. There's a there's a stock market that's worth 50 trillion on top of that. Today it's probably worth 60 trillion or or plus. But so many people are are basically opting in to these not purely voluntarily, but because they've connected that their money loses value and they're doing it as a mechanism to replace what they're otherwise losing in inflation. And as soon as they figure out that the fly has been removed from the ointment, that their money doesn't have to lose value, they will opt out of these financial products and they will opt into Bitcoin. And that doesn't mean that debt instruments will cease to exist. That doesn't mean that that stock instruments will cease to exist, but it does mean that increasingly they'll shift over to just holding a better form of money. Again, I think you put that really, really well. Again, we bring up Bitcoin Tina. You know, he said that money ought to be the riskless asset. Pierre Richard has also done some really great work about talking about what's the purpose of cash in a society. If you were to kind of try to sum this up in a way to the listeners of this podcast from a perspective that they're Bitcoiners who want to try to explain this idea to newbies, people who, who you know, th- right now in the world, like I've never seen more, more, you know, kind of individual retail investors, like trying to be stock pickers, like trading, in fact, has actually become like a sexy thing. Like, you know, how, like, how can Bitcoiners kind of one, communicate that <laughs> this is broken and wrong, and then two, communicate that there's a better way and this way will actually lead to you being happier and being more productive. Yeah, I think there's a reality and I I would describe it certain ways intuitively, which is stock trading is a zero sum game. Now there is value in capital allocation functions. So there is value with somebody that identifies good investment opportunities like a venture capitalist that helps bridge people that have capital and give it to an entrepreneur to go create something. That makes sense. Sitting in front of a computer screen and trading stocks, nothing's getting created in the world. There is some value kind of, you know, organically in pricing functions, but in a world that has a, a manipulating pricing structure in a fiat currency that can be printed, that that is, that's really made moot. And so what I think about my time is I store my wealth in a better form of money and then all day long, I'm not worrying about the price of Bitcoin moving up and down or about what stock or bond that I own because I don't own any stocks and bonds anymore. And I focus all of my energy in delivering value to Bitcoiners, right? And so when you think about your, you know, kind of your value and your, you know, economic function, it's you need to store your wealth in a good form of money, Bitcoin, and then produce value during the day for others to get more of that good money to be able to maximize your own value. And to focus your time on doing productive things and recognizing the things that aren't productive, which is trading stocks or consuming, not just trading stocks, but consuming your time and energy in that function. One of the, one of the comments that I made in the piece, and I think this is something that people feel once they get into Bitcoin, once you have a form of money that doesn't work against you, but that works in your favor, it's a very cathartic feeling 
which is you're basically now swimming downstream. You can you actually end up thinking about money less and you think about creating value more. Uh, and that's a really kind of important concept. It's like, think about how much, if, if you know that your money is going to lose 2% of its value and you're just trying to make money to replicate that, all your energy is going into thinking about making money. But if you get to a world where you have a good form of money, where you don't have to worry about it, that that takes care of itself, then your day in, day out work can be far more productive. You can start to plan more for the long term. And so what I tell people is you have to decipher these two things, which is taking risk versus not taking risk. If you've got money and if you have a good form of money, you've already taken risk. So people have to start thinking about, and again, I don't expect people to get it off the top, but it's this two-tiered system. Once you understand that Bitcoin is a credibly fixed supply, if you get to that point, you start to realize that saving in Bitcoin is the definition of not taking risk. And if you then take that Bitcoin and put it into some other vehicle, whether it's lending those Bitcoin out or putting your money in an equity ETF or buying a bond, you're re-putting your money at risk. And that's the key differentiation between your, your activity. Once you've gotten money that is at the end of the journey from having taken risk, you're now saving and you have a monetary medium and you need to have the best form of money to leverage your time and to store your wealth in the, in the most effective way. And, and to create that very clear delineation between not taking risk and taking risk. In the world of fiat currency where money loses its value, those lines have become blurred. People look at these things as near money, like investing in a, in a diversified ETF. They look at it as savings. But what they're actually doing and what, what I like stress people to do is think about the actual operation. When you buy that ETF, you've effectively invested money in somebody else's business rather than just saving money for yourself. And, and ultimately, when you're taking risk, you're having somebody else's counterparty risk. In Bitcoin, you're not taking risk, you're saving, you're just saving in a better form. That's very clear. Very, very excellent job kind of breaking that down. Parker, that's all I had. This was a really enjoyable conversation. I really think the Bitcoin Magazine audience is going to enjoy it. I want to give you a moment to kind of give your last word to our audience and then close out by uh, telling people where they can find you. Well, I would just say that uh, I'm pumped for Bitcoin 2021 in in June. Hopefully, I'm excited. I want to thank the mayor of Miami and also just, you know, for all the states that haven't locked down their people. I think that it's, it's really important. I live in Texas and I think more and more people need to to, to wake up to what's happened. But uh, I'm extremely pumped to, to have Bitcoin 2021 on the calendar. I can't, can't wait for that. And then also tell people to look out for BitBlock Boom. People should buy their ticket. BitBlock Boom is in Dallas in, in August of 2021. So people should go to both of those. It'll be great events. If people need help securing their Bitcoin or helping to acquire Bitcoin, they should check us out at unchain-capital.com. Again, we try to help Bitcoiners of, of all breeds that want to hold their own private keys. That's what differentiates Unchain. So, so you can find us on our website. You can find me on Twitter at Parker A. Lewis, or you can find me on Mastodon at Parker A. Lewis. I did delete all of my social media from my phone, but I got like four invites from Clubhouse. So Christian, I, I, I'm sympathetic to your view. I ended up uh, joining on Clubhouse. I'm Parker Lewis on Clubhouse, but I'm not on there often. But, but the main places are all of my articles for Graduate and Suddenly are on our website. You can find them directly from the nav bar on the resources on unchain-capital.com, also on the blog. 
And then there's also a, um, just give a shout out to Bitcoin Audible and Guy Swan. All of my articles are recorded on, on Guy Swan's Bitcoin Audible. And then there's also a number of other great resources that, that Guy has, has recorded and is a great medium for people to learn. So you can ping me. My DMs are open. We love getting calls from Bitcoiners at Unchained. You can reach us through the website. And yeah, anything you need in the world of Bitcoin and private keys and multisig, we want to help all Bitcoiners of all kinds feel safer and holding their Bitcoin and storing more wealth in Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you again for the time, Parker, uh, in the middle of your workday. It means a lot to our audience and uh, you really spit some fantastic knowledge. For everyone listening, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Find the magazine at Bitcoin Magazine and BitcoinMagazine.com and give us those five-star reviews. We're bringing the best in the business over on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast and across all of our platforms. Uh, and those reviews really make a difference. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.